Father, we turn our hearts and our minds now to you, asking that you would grant us grace to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today through this amazing letter. Help me as I preach and teach and help my, my friends to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Make your word come alive for every person. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church Grove Farm. What a great day. Baptisms, about to share Holy Communion together, strengthen our faith, to feed on Christ by faith, and to hear God's Word preached to us. What a privilege it is. This new series uh, got started in my head. My wife doesn't like the title, uh, but I do. I'm sticking with it, okay? It's Who's Got Next? Any basketball players in the room? You know what Who's Got Next means. You go to the playground... There's a team that's playing another team. The team loses. Then who's got next? Who's got next game? And the thought occurred to me as I was studying uh, 2 Timothy that we've got a, we've got a, a whole generation of people, uh, some people who are uh, young, some people who are new to the faith and young in their faith, but either young in faith or young in age. Uh, and, and the question I want to ask is who's got next? Who's got next game? Who, who can I entrust the gospel to? Where are the reliable young people that I can pour my life into who will stand up and grow up in the faith and fire up in the faith and persevere in the faith and endure in the faith against opposition in turbulent times so that this, this thing that's been entrusted to me as your pastor can be entrusted to you. That's the theme of 2 Timothy. As Jamie said, uh, your pastors went, we hunkered down, we uh, we studied together this amazing book, and uh, we learned there that, that, that part of what we need to do as pastors, part of what we need to do as spiritual leaders is to fan into flame the gift of faith and the ministry that's been entrusted to us and then in turn to hand that off to you. And the only way that I know to do that is to, as best I can, faithfully open up God's Word to you. Because that's where, that's where you feed the, the, the faith that is glowing in you. How many of you have been camping? You've had uh, an experience of getting up the next morning and going down to the fire and you see uh, ashes and um, not much else. Those ashes are gray. Those ashes are weightless. There's no life in them. You blow on them, and the ashes blow away. The fuel has been consumed, but down underneath there, what's underneath the ashes? Embers. There are embers down in there, and, and, and I believe that every person who names the name of Christ, every person who will come today and take communion believing the creed that we will recite together, that Christ really did die on the cross for your sin and really did rise from the dead. Every person who has those embers of faith burning in their heart has has not been uh, abandoned by God. And that if you will today, put put some kindling on those embers of faith. And if you will blow, there's a responsibility that you have today as, as a believer, to blow on those, those embers of faith. 
your faith and your contribution in the kingdom, your spiritual gift, your calling can be fanned into flame so that it burns, so that it burns brightly and makes a difference. Paul is writing from prison. It's not a nice prison. It's not house arrest. This time, his second arrest in Rome, he is chained and he is in a really, really lousy situation. It's a very dark dungeon-like existence. And he's writing to Timothy and he is intending to really pass on his last will and testament. These are his parting words. Now, Timothy is his dear son in the faith. Let me read to you the passage. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear or my beloved son. He's got this close connection, this personal relationship with Timothy. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the opening blessing to Timothy. Then he says, I continually thank God for you, the God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, a clean conscience, nothing burdening my conscience as I've served God, as night and day, Paul says, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, evidently they had been together doing lots of ministry, and when they left, Timothy was brokenhearted about it. He said, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith. That means your authentic faith. It's the real deal. Timothy is not a hypocrite. He's not leading a double life. He has an authentic, sincere, genuine, real faith. And it encourages Paul as he's in chains awaiting his execution. This faith, he says, first lived in your grandmother, Lois, And evidently, Lois was a very godly woman. And she passed it on to Eunice, his mother. His dad, we know, was a Greek, was not a Jew, and was probably not a believer, and probably died. And and Timothy was probably, listen, Timothy was probably fatherless. He was probably part of that that first generation of, of fatherless men. In the 21st century, we've got so many young men that don't have a strong mentor in their life, a strong father in their life. My message today is is all about the church being awakened by the gospel so that an awakened church, listen, so that an awakened church can awaken young leaders to grow up in their faith and stand up in their faith and fire up their faith so they can face this uncertain future that's out ahead of us, these turbulent times that are here now and that are coming. And it's part of this church's job, this this church's responsibility as a church family to do that. The faith is passed on from one generation to the next. We just witnessed that this morning. As, uh, what was it, about eight of these, these, these wonderful children were baptized this morning. We are participating in a wonderful process that's been going on for 2,000 years as the faith is passed on from one generation to the other. Well, Lois and Eunice, Timothy's uh, mom and, and grandmom, were godly women. 
And they were planting the seeds of faith in Timothy from when he was just a young boy. 1 Timothy speaks about how uh, he was learning the scriptures from his youth. Let me just pause and say, moms, one of the greatest things that you can do, grandmoms, granddads, and dads, one of the best things you can do for the church and for this fallen and broken world, one of the most strategic, smart, wise, spirit-anointed, powerful things that you can do is to entrust God's word into your kids. Because you never know. You never know when that word's going to come alive in the heart of a young person. And those of you who are volunteering in kids' ministry, God bless you. Keep at it. It's an amazing ministry to entrust God's word into the next generation. Those of you who are volunteering in Awana, God bless you. Keep at it. It's part of our calling. Those of you who are, who are involved in summer camps and in high school ministry and in junior high ministry, God bless you. Keep at it. Fan into flame. Fan into flame your ministry, your calling. Fan into flame your faith. So the Word of God is alive in you so you can light the torch of the next generation. This is the way it's done. One generation to the next. And that's exactly what happened to Timothy. Eunice and Lois sowed God's Word into Timothy and, and then Timothy was primed. He was ripe when Paul showed up on the scene and became his mentor and poured his life into Timothy. And so Paul can say in verse 6, For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame, rekindle, kindle afresh, keep that that flame up and burning, and keep it full, keep it big. Now, I don't know where your flame is today. Where's your flame? You know, if the fireplace is uh, faith, and the flame is the Holy Spirit, what would characterize your, your heart today, your faith? Would it be just like a, a nice, cozy fire that, you know, has some heat, has some light, there's some warmth there, and, uh, but you've got to get up close to it. You know, you've got to get right up next to it to feel, the, to feel the warmth. Is that where your heart is today? And Paul would say to you, and I would say to you, fan it into flame. Get some logs on that thing. Get some more kindling on that thing. Get some kerosene on that thing, for crying out loud. And get the flame of your heart flaming for Christ. Because that's what it's going to take for you to persevere all the way to the end. Trust me, that's what it's going to take for us to persevere together and to endure through the challenges that life offers. Now, others of you have a faith that came this morning that is just that, that barely there kind of faith. It's, it's there. It's not that you've given up on God. No, you still believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin. You still know that you're pardoned. You still know that you're a daughter of God or a son of God. He hasn't given up on you. He's holding on to you. And you're going to come this morning and you're going to reaffirm your faith. And you're going to say, thank you, God, for, for, for pardoning me, for forgiving me, for grabbing hold of me, for holding on to me, for accepting me, for interjecting your life in my place. But maybe your faith is, is barely there. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's glowing, but there's not a lot of light. There's very little heat, and there's very little warmth radiating off of your life. I hate that when that happens to me. And believe me, I, that, I go through that as well. And the only way I know to rebuild the fires of my faith is to heap up on 
to the heart uh, and my mind, that, that the hearth, the fireplace of my heart, the Word of God. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way I, the only way I know that really works and that's been ordained in Scripture is to s- store up the Word of God in my heart and in my mind and to prayerfully and carefully study it. Now, that requires regular attendance in church. That requires uh, a, a, a daily devotional time. And it also requires, I believe, getting into a small group, getting into a mentoring relationship where you're interacting with God's Word. Trust me, if you're not, in, if you're not doing those three things, your, your, your fire will not burn as fully as it could. If you're not in a small group or a mentoring relationship where you are prayerfully and carefully interacting with God's Word, where you're trying to own the promises that are in it, where you're trying to walk in, in, out of gratitude for grace, walk out your faith. If you're not in a, in, a, in a place where you can be honest about where you really are with another person that you trust, chances are your faith is in decline. Now, that's not categorically true. That's not, I'm not taking that from Scripture. That's my observation as a pastor. I just know that when I get my head out of God's Word, my faith begins to die down. But God, in His mercy, in His mercy, He always leads me back. You know, and the Holy Spirit enables me and empowers me to sort of blow on those embers and go find some... some, some kindling and, and, and some logs and to begin to begin to build up my, my awareness of his love for me afresh so that I trust him more fully, more completely. This is the season we're in as a church. This is what it's going to take for us to grow, to keep this, this light of faith fully burning, this gift of God entrusted to us. Well, how do we do it? God's Word. How do we remain loyal and persevere and go the distance as Paul is instructing Timothy? Let me suggest a second way, and that's that we remember. It takes a gospel-awakened church to raise gospel-fired leaders who will grow up, stand up, fire up this inheritance of this living faith to to go this distance. And we do that by remembering. We remember the inheritance that's been given to us. Paul mentions seven things here in this passage. Seven things to remember that will encourage you as you encourage others. Very quickly. First, the promise of life in Christ. Paul reminds Timothy of life fully filled in, in Christ, in union with Christ. Paul's favorite phrase, in Christ. says it literally hundreds of times in his letters. All of the gifts that we experience uh, that are redeeming, that are life-transforming, come in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul could say, uh, you know, the promise of life itself is in Christ. So our physical life and our spiritual life are being born and are being born again comes through Christ, in Christ, by the will of God, according to this this promise of life entrusted 
uh, to us. And so Paul wants to remind us this morning of this, this promise of, of life fully filled in. Think of a, a, a picture frame in the Old Testament that didn't have a picture in it. There was a, a framework for the Messiah. They, they anticipated Messiah coming. They knew Messiah was coming, but they didn't know what he was going to look like. Well, the New Testament reveals that in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He came as a suffering servant. So the picture gets, gets filled in. That promise of life that was entrusted to the Israelites, Paul's ancestors, was now fully revealed in Christ. Secondly, Paul remembers his personal affection for Timothy, calls him my son or my beloved son. There's this mentoring relationship that, that Paul has with Timothy, and, and that helps him to endure through difficult circumstances that he's encountering. He remembers Timothy in prayer. Well, some of you parents have been praying for children for, for years and years and years, laboring in prayer. Keep praying. You know, t- uh, Timothy was, uh, was prayed for. Do you imagine that he was strengthened by that knowledge that the Apostle Paul was actually praying for him? His mentor, his hero, was praying for him. Fourth, uh, Paul remembers with thankfulness his own ancestors who walked in the, in the line of Abraham. Fifth, he remembers Timothy's tears, his affection, his longing for a joy-filled reunion, that personal friendship that they had. This is a very personal letter where, where Paul is, as Calvin said, Paul is not writing this letter in ink. He's writing it in blood. He's, he's pouring out his heart for his young protege, the guy that he's mentoring. And he reminds Timothy of his sincere faith that lives in him, that lives in him. Maybe it's embers on occasion, but it's, it's in there. It's, it's burning in there, and he's, he's grateful for it, grateful for his grandmom and his mom. Seventh, he's, he reminds Timothy to, to fan it into flame, to, to rekindle it, to be emboldened by the Scriptures, emboldened by the Spirit, so that he can endure. Now, Timothy, as you know, was, was commissioned to do a particular task. In 1 Timothy, verse uh, 18 to 19, chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, he was given a charge, kind of an ordination ceremony, really. And this charge was entrusted to him, 1 Timothy says, my child, entrusted to you in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith, in a good conscience. Timothy had a, had a purpose that he was ordained to do. He was commissioned to do something. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul says, Do not neglect this gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. The important thing to note here is, is not where you are, but whether you're making progress. Now, as you get older, a lot of times, if you're like me, you'll, you'll look back over a lot of wasted years. I think of all the years that I've spent watching, you know, television or stupid movies. And, and when you get to be my age, you start to, you start to really focus your, your life and your energies a little more purposefully. And you, start, you start thinking about, how do I want to live the second half of my life? You know, the first half of my life, I live sort of this way. And, you know, there was good and there was bad in it, but how do I want to live the second half of my life? And, and with, all, with everything that's within me, I want, I want you all to see my progress. I want you all to see that I am growing in Christ, and I so long to see that in you. It's not, it doesn't really matter today how you came in. 
It's, are you making progress in your faith? Practice these things, Paul says uh, to Timothy. Immerse yourself in them. Jamie, immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Get your head down in that, in that Word and, and suck it in and soak in it so that you can then turn around and, and give it out to those high school kids. Immerse yourself in those things so that we all can see your progress in the faith. So that 20 years, 30 years from now, when we run into Jamie Kendrew, we go, that guy has made progress in his faith. He was a dipstick back when I knew him, back in the day, but man, he really turned out okay. What do you think? Amen, says Jamie. All right. Practice these things so we can see your progress. God spoke clearly through elders, through trusted mentors to to set Timothy apart for ministry. Remembering is a way of encouraging. When you look back on the ways that God has, in His sovereignty, given you perhaps a, a, a faithful friend, a college roommate, a godly grandmother who prayed for you, a godly mom who, who prayed for you, an aunt, an uncle, a pastor, a young life leader, somewhere in your history, in your personal history, somebody sowed God's word into your life and prayed for you. And when you think about that, that is motivation for you to finish well, to live up to the, the gospel that has been entrusted to you. There's good in remembering. Encouragement comes from reflecting on your spiritual heritage so that your lasting legacy can be fueled into a burning flame. There's also great blessing in in commissioning for ministry. Not all of you have experienced that. I have. It's it's a great blessing to me as a pastor to think back on the the installation service that I had in, in June right here in this church when John Guest and Bishop John Rogers and the wardens of the church laid hands on me and they said, Tag, you're it. You know, you're, 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 you're now our pastor. And other moments in my life when I, when I was ordained or, or when I was ministered to by a, a beloved spiritual mentor in my life where he puts his hands on my shoulders and looks me in the eyes and says, you know what? God's with you and you can do this. Buck up. You're going to make it. You're going to be okay. God is not done with you yet. There are many people in that city that don't know Christ, and he's prepared them to to receive the gospel. God's with you. He's not given you a a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but of of power and love and self-control. And so buck up. Fan into flame this gift of faith. When somebody does that in your life, i got to tell you, it's like going from, you know, fumes in the tank to high octane all the way to full. That's what we need as a church. That's what I'm looking for in in developing leaders. I can't do this alone. We are so understaffed. We are so overwhelmed. We need people to stand up in their faith, fire up their faith, and get busy and get to work. And that's my challenge to you today. Verse 7, I'll conclude with this. God did not give us a, this spirit of cowardice or fear, but a spirit of power. Now, power can be dangerous. Power can be dangerous. Lord Acton, the great British historian, uh, wrote in a letter to an Anglican bishop. He said, all power tends to corrupt. Absolute power 
corrupts absolutely. You know the quote. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. But power is necessary. Right here in the Scripture, it says we've been given not a spirit of fear or cowardice or timidity, but a spirit of power. Now, power comes from that promise of life that we read about in verse 1. Because there's life in Christ, we have been given power through the Spirit. Power is part of that promise of life we have in Christ. Now, power is meant to protect the weak and the vulnerable. Power enables the preaching of the cross. Power enables us to share our faith and have some effect when we do that. No one gets converted. Nothing gets done. The team that we're sending out to minister uh, on the East Coast uh, because of Hurricane Sandy, nothing good's going to come out of that without power. No one gets converted. Society goes into chaos. Churches go into, into chaos if, if, if the wise use of power doesn't happen or anarchy happens. And, th- and that power always travels along the right use of, of, of inspiration through compelling words, through a compelling wise vision to follow Jesus in the right direction. And so power can bring change. Power can bring hope. We need, we need more power in our lives. That's what the scripture says. We're so afraid to say that, but, but friend, you need more power in your life. Otherwise, that, that fire in your, in your heart is going to go out. But that power has to be bounded and guided and directed. It has to be love-directed. It's got to be bounded by love. So Paul adds that crucial, important word, power and and, and love, uh, love in action. And thirdly, he adds self-control. He adds self-discipline. Self-control means being level-headed. Now, in the earlier meeting we had uh, for this trip to the coast, it's, it's easy to see people sometimes get a little panicky about what we're going to do over there and, and, and become uh, not level-headed. You know, they, they, they're fearful, and oftentimes a reaction to fear, timid people can also be panicky people. Now, Susie and I, uh, we, both, we both struggle with fear, like a lot of you. But we deal with it very differently. Deal with it very differently. Susie, who can be fearful at times, because we've done some crazy stuff, like we've, we've picked up our family with no money and moved across the country, not knowing anyone to try to plant a church, not knowing what we were doing, with no support whatsoever. We've done stupid things like that. And when we would land in a city, you know, it was like she would be maybe a little timid about it. And, 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 and she would maybe pull back a little bit. Me, on the other hand, when I feel afraid, when I'm feeling like a coward, when I'm feeling timid, I, I tend to get angry. And fear can do that to you. And that's why we need what Paul says, add to your power, you know, direct that power in a loving way, in a Christ-centered way that really builds up people, but add to that level-headedness, add to that self-control and and self-discipline. Otherwise, you'll be flying off the handle all the time. So the anecdote, the anecdote to timidity, to a faith that feels like it has just shrunk down to embers is God's Word. A gospel-awakened church. A community of faith that is challenging you and encouraging you. And this understanding that it's by God's grace, this promise of life. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, be strengthened by grace. So we need God's grace, that promise of life, 
to strengthen our faith. And that comes through God's Word as you study it and meditate on it with others. And through that, through that, the power of your faith, the flame of your faith will burn brightly, or at least more brightly, and you'll make progress in your faith. And when it dies down, a loving brother or sister will come along beside and help you fan it into flame. Now, as we finish, how can you apply this? I mean, how do we together leave a a lasting legacy? Well, I mentioned Awana. I mentioned kids' ministry. I mentioned VBS. That's that's an obvious way, but there, there are countless ways that you can invest both your time, your talent, and your treasure in entrusting the faith to the next generation. I want to encourage you, third service, to to give money to your local church. Because guess what? We need it. We are stopped on our hiring until we get a, 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 a picture on what we can afford. And so if one of the ways that God has blessed you to help hand this faith off to the next generation is by making money, go ahead and part with some of it because we could really use it. Invest your dollars wisely. Invest in ministries that are, that are gospel-centered ministries. In your, in your bulletin today is an insert for World Vision. That's a great way to, to respond to this, uh, to this terrible hurricane because they'll put it to work. So invest your life. Invest your talent, invest your treasure to make sure that this faith gets handed off to the next generation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for children, children of the faith, young and old, who are new to the faith, who are new to walking with the Lord Jesus, who desperately want to grow, but they don't know how. Will you awaken our church, Lord? Will you awaken us in your mercy? Remind us today of the promise of life that we have in Christ. And cause your word to to dwell in us in such a way that, that we really do fan into flame this gift of life that you've given to us. My prayer, Lord, is that we would then live from that place with your authority, with your power, to love deeply and to love well. Help us, Lord. Your people need you. And now as we turn our hearts to communion, Lord, remind us of the one whose life burned brightest of all, the Lord Jesus Christ.